Psalm 91 and verse 1. Psalm 91 and verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The Hebrew word translated secret place comes from the verb meaning to hide. The secret place is the presence of God where believers may hide and be protected. This place is exclusive to Christians. The rest of men being excluded. So it is the unique dwelling and refuge of those who are in the kingdom of God by repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The believer in communion with the Most High God knows God's shadow over him meaning his defence, his protection. And this is a protection of both body and soul. We read in Psalm 25 and verse 14, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Notice the word secret again. Referring to the special relationship which believers in Christ have with God. This is the secret of the Lord. This is a close and intimate communion with the Lord. This is being hidden in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 27 and verse 5. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. A pavilion is a place of safety from the storm. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. The kingdom of God, comprising those who have sought salvation from sin, is the place of safety from this Satan-dominated world of unbelief, which lies under God's terrifying condemnation and of course since the fall the whole natural world is also under the curse of God we do not live in a perfect creation this is why we have natural disasters this is why we have sickness He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Notice the two titles given 
to God in that verse. The Most High and the Almighty. And so these terms refer to the Lord's irresistible power. The Apostle Paul describes this power in the following way. In 1 Timothy 6 and verse 15. He speaks of the blessed and only potentate. The King of kings and Lord of lords. Who only hath immortality. Dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. Whom no man hath seen nor can see. To whom be honour and power everlasting. God is all holy. Yet in great condescension, he protects and comforts the believer in Christ. And grants to him an exalted status. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 and verse 6. God hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so there we learn that the Christian has become a citizen of heaven. Now this is another way of describing the secret place and the shadow of the Almighty under which the Christian abides. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. As Christians we are in the kingdom of God. We are in the secret place. We are under the shadow of the Almighty. Since God is the Most High and the Almighty... That means that he is the master of disease. The biblical doctrine of providence makes this abundantly clear. One theologian states this. Divine providence is that work of God by which he preserves all his creatures is active in all that transpires in the world and directs all things to their appointed end. End quote. And so all that happens <clears throat> in God's world happens at God's decree. No- nothing happens in this world outside of the providence of God. There is no such thing as chance in the providence of God. Now, we read in verse 2 here, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. Now the psalmist speaks from personal experience here. The author of this psalm uh, may well in fact be Moses who was also the author of the previous psalm. Moses witnessed at first hand the plagues upon Egypt. 
So Moses knew all about epidemics and pandemics. How wonderfully had God protected his people in the midst of the plagues upon Egypt. We read in Proverbs 18 and verse 10, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. A refuge is a place to which one flees. The believer in Christ is safe from his three great enemies of the world, the flesh and the devil. As the Lord Jesus Christ makes clear in the Sermon on the Mount, the believer in him is also the object of God's special protection in physical and material matters. That is a clear biblical principle. We read in verse 3 of this psalm, Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. The word noisome means destructive. Now the metaphor in the first part of this verse is of birds being trapped in a net. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. Pharaoh would have trapped the Israelites in Egypt. But God rescued them. As they escaped, he protected them from the advancing Egyptian army, even giving them safe passage through the Red Sea. And before this, when the destroying angel had gone through all Egypt, killing the firstborn, Israel's firstborn had been kept safe from God's judgment. They had been kept safe from the noisome pestilence, the destroying plague. The Christian, as we have stated, is protected from his spiritual enemies of the world, the flesh and the devil. But he is also protected in his everyday circumstances, even from actual physical danger. God is able to protect his own people from disease, from epidemics, from common calamities and natural disasters. He may alternatively allow his people or some of his people to share in common sufferings and thus cause good to come out of that sharing in the common sufferings. In respect of the national and indeed worldwide calamity of the coronavirus, this is a call to the nations, and we are going to think of our own nation in particular, this is a call to our nation 
to humble itself before the God who controls the advent of diseases. But we must have the courage to say, this has happened in God's providence, because everything happens in God's providence. The Bible deals specifically with the issue of nationwide diseases. For example, um, in Leviticus chapter 26, we read in verse 15 of that chapter, If ye shall despise my statutes, so that ye will not do all my commandments, and then the Lord goes on to say this, I will also do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption, and the burning ache that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. So here in Leviticus 26, and it's the same in Deuteronomy 28, verse 21 uh, is a key verse there, we see established a direct connection between common calamities such as epidemics and national righteousness. Major outbreaks of disease are not a judgment upon individuals, but they are a warning to nations to seek the face of the God who controls all men's circumstances. Now, all people, including Christians, are living in a fallen world, subject to physical afflictions and sicknesses. Christians may possibly contract the coronavirus. But if that happens, it will only be in the context of remaining under God's special protection. God is also able to prevent his own people from contracting the virus because he has the power to do so and the power to act on behalf of his own people. The reality of sickness was, of course, a major factor in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He clearly taught that the healing of sickness represented the need to be healed from the plague of sin. Our Lord declared, when healing a man in Mark 2 and verse 10, that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. So the Lord is making a distinct connection there. He is saying that his power to heal demonstrates his power to save from sin. This leads us 
to the following conclusion. A nation which is afflicted by sickness needs to examine its relationship to the Holy God and its whole general manner of conduct. Now, we are told in verse 4 here, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Now, here we are being taught that the believer is constantly under God's special protection because we have the ministry of the angels round about us. How many unknown calamities have we avoided as Christian believers precisely because God's special hand was upon us? Uh, Who knows, for example, how many times God's angels have protected us when we have been behind the wheel of a car? It's an unseen work, but it is going on. God does discriminate in his everyday government of the world between believer and non-believer. When the Lord sent the ten plagues upon Egypt, the Israelites were kept safe. The hailstones and swarm of flies, for example, did not affect the region of Goshen where the Israelites lived. Now in this verse 4, we have a reference to God's truth. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. And, And this means the truth in respect of his own character. His faithfulness to his own promises. God, if we can say this reverently, is true to himself. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. He has made promises, we can rely upon them. And so this fact is the defence and the confidence of the Christian. Namely that God watches over his own people. And when we see around in our society uh, many non-believers in a genuine state of panic, hopefully, by God's grace, we can be different and have a confidence. We read in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 9, Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. And then verse 12, he kept him as the apple of his eye. So this is speaking about Jacob, about Israel, about the people of God. God keeps his own people as the apple of his eye. Just as we instinctively protect the pupil or the apple of our eye, so God protects his own people. That is God's promise. 
Now, this is not to say, of course, that Christians do not get sick and do not catch viruses. Of course, they do. But even if they do, they are still in the midst of God's special protection. Verse 5. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. Now, it was at night that the firstborn of Egypt lost their lives. This was a judgment upon Egypt for its worship of demonic false gods. The Israelites, also living in Egypt, were, however, kept safe from the general judgment by the shed blood of a lamb. And that was prophetic of the Christians' protection from judgment being covered by the blood of Christ shed on his behalf to satisfy God's justice. So we are told in verse 5, unseen horrors can afflict men, especially in the night. A virus is unseen. Horrors, of course, are not confined to night time. Even in broad daylight, the flight of an arrow is not perceived by men. How few consider that even the flight of an arrow is directed by the Lord. And the flight of a virus is also therefore directed by the Lord. Now, in the case of hardened, continually stubborn and outwardly wicked unbelievers who are constantly defying God and his commandments, they expose themselves to the uncertainty of unforeseen calamity striking them down in God's justice, even in this life. That, that is a clear biblical teaching. It, it is a dangerous thing not to believe in Jesus Christ. Because one is not only subject to God's judgment on the great last day, God is free to exercise his judgment during a non-believer's life, if he so wishes. Now we read in 1 Kings 22 of how the Lord directed the flight of an arrow to the wicked king Ahab. 1 Kings 22, verse 30, And the king of Israel disguised himself as an ordinary soldier and went into the battle. Verse 34, and a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Of the harness, and the king died at even. So, despite the king's laborious efforts to conceal his identity as the king, and despite the fact that the Syrian archer was not aiming at any particular individual, the arrow found the tiny gap in Ahab's armour and fatally wounded him. And Ahab could do nothing to stop this judgment of God upon him. Now we have stated that the coronavirus 
is not a judgment upon individuals. But it is a warning to the nation and we must assert that God has brought this situation into being because God governs all circumstances in this world. So what is God saying to a nation through this event? Now, speaking of the need for the believer not to be afraid, we are further told in verse 6 here, Thou shalt not be afraid for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. In this fallen world, there may be a ravaging disease, striking men down in the night. Or there may be a destructive daytime earthquake. Yet in the midst of such events, believers will know God's special protection. Now this is not to say that believers will necessarily be exempted from common calamities. Christian believers could, for example, be caught up in an earthquake or a tsunami. But believers, when they are caught up in such common calamities in a fallen world, they are never caught up as being outside of God's special protection. And that is the difference. Even if we are included in the common calamities, we remain under God's special providential protection. We read of this protection in Isaiah 32, verses 18 and 19, where we read, My people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, and in sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. When it shall hail coming down on the forest. So there in Isaiah 32. A special protection in the midst of a common calamity. Now there was an eminent nonconformist minister. In the late 19th and early 20th century uh, called E.J. Paul Connor and he felt that these verses from Isaiah 32 spoke strongly to him during World War II when London was being bombed he had to leave his flat in Bayswater owing to bomb damage. And he was offered two other flats in different blocks. The one he declined subsequently suffered a direct hit from enemy bombing. And he would have been in it at the time had he taken that particular flat. He saw in this event... God's preserving hand 
and that God in his providence still had work for him to do. Now, we are told in verse 7 here, A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Now, this is a remarkable verse, and we have to deal with it and expand it very carefully. Many Christians who have served in the armed forces and who have lived through a battle have found this verse 7 of Psalm 91 speaking to their hearts. In fact, a former church secretary of this church uh, witnessed how he felt God's special protection as he was called up in the Second World War. Um, and in his case, uh, the Lord actually preserved him from ever going into battle. Uh, he, he was once uh, in a landing craft out in the Pacific Ocean, about to invade a, an island occupied by the Japanese, and, and uh, they realised that the Japanese had found out about the invasion and, and our friend was on this landing craft um, and he, he would have been in the midst of a quite horrible battle uh, but the landing craft was turned round. Now, in his case, he, he felt that was God's special protection upon him. Others, of course, many Christians do go into battle uh, and they receive God's special protection in the midst of the battle. Christians may fall in battle, they may die in battle, but they still remain under God's special protection. And nothing happens to them outside of his providence. And if a Christian falls in battle, it works out, of course, to his ultimate good, because he immediately goes to somewhere which is far better. Now, when there are plagues, sicknesses, natural disasters, and other judgments of God assailing men, the Lord may choose to grant a special physical and earthly protection to those who are his own children. Now, that is a confidence that we need to draw upon right now. And a plain example of this principle is the escape of all the Christians from the horrible destruction which came upon the city of Jerusalem in AD 70. The Lord, of course, had forewarned his disciples about this coming destruction and the Christians escaped from the city. They were not included uh, in that awful mayhem and bloodletting. But as we have said, this is not to say, of course, that Christians do not get caught up in common disasters. They do, often. We all live in a fallen world. But for the believer in Christ, the afflictions will have no punitive aspect to them. One commentator explains this verse 7 here like this. The verse states, not what must necessarily happen 
but what God can bring to pass. And so this promise that the plague shall not cause you to fall is what God is able to do. But not necessarily what God will do. Another commentator states that this promise is not to be understood absolutely, this promise in verse 7, it is not to be understood absolutely and universally as if no truly good man could ever be cut off by plague or other common calamities, but with due limitations and conditions. In other words, the promise that the destruction shall not come nigh is a statement of what God is able to do in his superior wisdom if he deems it fit for individual believers. So he is able to protect individual believers from any common plague or calamity and it is most legitimate to pray for that protection because God is able to do it. If on the other hand a believer contracts the disease it does not of course mean that that is because he has been more sinful uh, than others because we simply do not know the mind of God in these different providences. But perhaps fellow Christians may be laid low by a disease so that others can be proved in their helping and care of them and, and so that the one cast down by the disease can mature and draw nearer to God in the midst of that affliction. What we can be certain of is that God is able to protect us. And he is able to protect our nation. I wish we were having a national day of prayer today. The United States is. God is able to protect our nation from the coronavirus. But the nation needs to humble itself before him. God is able to show mercy to those who humble themselves. God is able to remove plagues and epidemics in response to prayer. Of that we must never be in doubt. He can remove it. He can remove it tomorrow if he so wishes. And we can especially take heart that the Lord can protect his own people even in the midst of common calamities. And so we have the confidence which the world does not have. Verse 8 here, Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Those who defy God may well come under his punitive justice in this life. 
as the godly look on in fear and trembling at his power. Now as we have stated, the coronavirus is not a judgment upon individuals, but it is a call to the nation to humble itself, to humble itself quickly before the God who controls all disease. No, we are not speaking of judgment here upon individuals. But what is happening may be a collective judgment upon the nation. A nation which stubbornly continues to repudiate its Christian heritage and which stubbornly continues to ignore God's commandments. So what is happening right now all around us is a warning to the nation. You are defying me. It's a warning from God. It has to be viewed in that context. Great epidemics and pandemics are a warning to all nations to seek the face of the God who controls disease. A nation afflicted by a grave medical crisis is a nation which God wants to speak to. It is a nation which God is seeking that it prostrates itself before him. Now, we must pray for the authorities in dealing with this crisis. And of course, we pray for the sick. Uh, If we have people near to us who are afflicted, we care for them. We seek medical preventions and solutions. But all this must be done in the context of a nation realising that it is in the hands of the Almighty God. We're not in the hands of the medical authorities. We're not in the hands of the government. We are not merely in the hands of how much we lock down society. That's the only way we can stop this if we lock everything down. And this is why people panic. But as Christians, we know that we're in the hands of the Lord. He alone will ultimately cause a dangerous virus to be removed. And so people must seek his face and seek their rebellion, cease their rebellion against him. And we are a nation in rebellion against God. There is no question of that. It is interesting to learn from church history. How did Bible-believing Christians deal with common calamities such as this in times past? In 1865, there was a very serious outbreak of foot and mouth disease in this country. And it was 
afflicting every county, uh, all farms with livestock, uh, and it was a really serious problem. Numerous cattle were having to be uh, slaughtered. There was the effect, of course, upon food prices, uh, and the authorities just did not know what to do. Uh, J.C. Ryle uh, produced an evangelistic tract at the time of this outbreak of foot and mouth disease. And he wrote, It is a perplexing calamity. No medicines or remedies or modes of treatment appear to have any effect on the disease. After all the discoveries of science, after all that has been written by learned doctors, the skill of man is completely baffled. Even our statesmen and rulers seem at their wit's end. With all the accumulated wisdom of the 19th century, and we've now got the accumulated wisdom of the 21st century, we have found that there is no solution to beat this. The curse of helplessness seems to be upon the land. And then... Ra goes on to ask this question. Does anyone pretend to say that God is too loving to send us such a scourge as this? And that it is wrong to suppose that any evil can come from him? I pity the man who can argue in that way. Has he children? Does he never correct them? If a wise and sensible man, I have no doubt that he does. But does he hate them because he chastises them? Does he not show the highest love by checking them when they do wrong? And shall not our Father in heaven do the same? Yes, indeed. God does not hate us. He is a God of mercy and love. And therefore he keeps up his providential government of mankind. And so in the the midst of this devastating suffering of this foot and mouth outbreak. And and farmers going out of business. uh, People being obviously short of all the products that the animals produce for food. In the midst of this crisis, Ra was able to say there is love even in this the love of God even in this scourge which is now upon us because God is speaking to us through it he said the cattle plague is the finger of a wise and loving God and that is how we must view the current outbreak of this serious virus. It is the finger of God. No one can deny that. But how do we respond to it? We read in verse, verses 9 and 10 here, finally. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Neither shall any plague come nigh thy 
dwelling. How do we interpret that? Well, again, we emphasize that those who have sought refuge in God will experience his special protection because of their special status. Now, this does not mean that they will necessarily not experience the affliction which other men are experiencing. But God, in his providence, can protect our dwellings from the plague, if he so chooses. That is what verse 10 is teaching. And even if, as Christians, we are afflicted, we are not being afflicted in a punitive way. Or not in a way that cannot work for our ultimate good. So the message of this psalm is that as Christians in the midst of a general calamity afflicting a nation. We can experience a very special protection. That means we can have peace of mind. And we desire that all the non-believers around us come to know that same peace of mind. Therefore, how should we respond to the coronavirus? We should respond by going out and preaching the gospel to the lost. Amen.